0: Hey, everybody. Thank you for listening to Swarfcast. Before we start, we have a quick favor to ask you. If you love the show, please rate it and write a review on your podcast app. Or tell somebody about it. It really makes a difference for us, and we'd appreciate it. Okay, on with the show.
1: I was an engineer, so I applied uh, for a job, you know, with uh, the, the gentleman Fifner and Fry they looked me in the eyes and said, hey, we have an opportunity to sell the Hydromat machine in America. Uh, You know English. Why don't you go over there?
0: This is Swarfcast. I'm Noah Graff, here with my co-host Lloyd Graff. Today's show is part one of an interview we did with Bruno Schmitter, CEO and COO of Hydromat USA. In 1979, at the age of 25, Bruno came to St. Louis to sell a machine that was virtually unknown in North America. Today, Hydromat is synonymous with rotary transfer machines in the United States. Today's podcast is brought to you by Graf Pinkert. Looking for a screw machine, rotary transfer machine, or CNC machine? Graf Pinkert's got you covered. When you're buying any used machine, you're taking a risk. So, it's important to buy from someone who knows their stuff and who is going to give you straight information about what you're buying. Graf Pinkert is a family owned firm that's been dedicated to selling great machine tools to the turn parts industry for 75 years. It specializes in the top multi spindle brands, including Index, Schutte, Gildemeister, Tornos, ZPS, Acme, and Wickman. They also sell a variety of other types of used equipment such as CNC Swiss, CNC turning centers, and parts washers. Machine tools are complicated. If you're going to buy one, you should go to people who are knowledgeable and committed to the industry. Learn more at www.grafpinkert.com. We are very, very pleased to have Bruno Schmitter of Hydromat, CEO and COO of Hydromat USA on the show. We're on location in St. Louis and um, yeah, we're just pleased to get to know you a little better and catch up after all these years. And uh, would you like to start?
2: Yeah, I would. Bruno, I'd like to know about your growing up in this small town in Switzerland. And tell me a little bit about your family. Tell me uh, what you were like uh, in your teens, and give me a, a bit of an impression of you as a,
1: a youngster. Thank you, gentlemen. Uh, obviously, I appreciate your visit here to St. Louis. Uh, it's been quite some time, you know, since we've done, you know, any talking here for the media. Uh, Starting out uh, with my childhood, you know, of course, it could be a long story, a lot of action uh, in my growing up, uh, mainly because uh, at that time, you know, we were extremely involved uh, with nature, with uh, physical activities, sports and so on and so forth. I grew up uh, near to the lake, so uh, we would spend a lot of time on the water. Which which lake? This Lake Zurich. Lake Zurich. Hmm. Yes. So the village you know where I uh, grew up is about six miles from the Zurich center, hmm. on the right-hand side of Lake Zurich. Lake Zurich is naturally fed from the mountains, so the waters you know were cool in the winter time, uh, too very cold. You know, but uh, we ventured out, you know, anytime we had an opportunity. Also, you know, I participated, you know, in the many sports, you know, uh, in Europe, uh, typically the sport uh, is a club activity. And so, you know, I played soccer, I played uh, ice hockey, um, and then uh, I was in the scouts. I, I was uh, a scout uh, participants there uh, in a, a branch of the scouts uh, called uh, Jungwacht. Uh this is kind of the Catholic arm of uh, the scouts like you know them. You know? How long ago was this? It's been a long time ago. I can barely remember it. Oh, however, they say, you know, uh, you remember the youth, you know, the older you get. You know, is that right, Lloyd? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, but this is. Uh, yeah. This how, is, how, know, old, how old are you, Bruno? I'm 66. Okay. So, you know, I, you know 60 years ago. I had an older sister, she was, uh, or she is four and a half years older than me, and was was active in uh, the business in Zurich, in a um, travel agency, very successful for many, many years. Retired, enjoying life, playing golf, you know, and uh, going down to uh, Thailand and, uh, and Mallorca, you know, with uh, her partner, so. We had a good upbringing. My parents were level headed Swiss people. Was your father involved in uh, technical type stuff, mechanical? He was. He was. And that's basically how I got into the machine tool business. He ran a transportation company for the city, for the city trucks, basically. They were privately owned, but they handled, you know, the garbage. They handled the oil. They handled the wood and so on and so forth, you know, so he was in charge of of quite a few trucks and I was always around those trucks for service and so on and so forth and uh, he basically said, you know, you have to go into the machine tool business. This is the, Pinnacle of you know manufacturing,
0: selling, selling machine tools. He was saying
1: building, you know, engineering. You know, I I, I did an apprenticeship co-op program, you know, uh, for machine tools. So in other words, building. I learned, you know, the the trade, you know, from the ground up. You know,
0: what would you say is the one of the most important things you learned from your father?
1: Never embarrass the Schmidt name that was the most uh, important thing for him, you know. He couldn't come home and say, "Hey, somebody was mean to me," or, the, or you know, the teacher, you know, slapped me and all my hands, you know. He said, "Fight for yourself," you know. You have to grow up strong, and so that kind of is a, a very important statement. When you grow up compared to the millennials, you know, where (laughs) uh, they want to get a uh, trophy, you know, even if they lose the game, you know, so. Uh, It's a tough upbringing, but uh, I had good parents.
2: Why do you say it was tough?
1: Yeah, I got to think about that, you know, um, just because uh, there were expectations Mm. and those expectations, you know, had to be met. And don't forget you know as i grew older you know we ran into the 70s you know where there was some youth unrest in switzerland i have to speak to zurich where i grew up you know but i was at the fringe of that and the hairs you know started growing longer and so on and the music became you know uh, very dominant Uh, hashish was introduced Mm -hmm. uh, and so on and so forth that's why tough. I, I, I needed to stay away from that. Uh, I didn't feel comfortable, you know, in some of those groups, you know, I was torn to. Were you into skiing? I was into skiing as well, yes. I started skiing very early on and skied all along, you know, mm-hmm. until, you know, a few years ago, you know. So how did the
2: Hydromat thing come about?
1: The Hydromat... Um, came about um, basically through my partners Pfiffner and Fry. Uh, they started a um, machine tool selling business uh, early 70s and um, what were you doing before then? I finished up you know my schooling I had to go to the military service. And then I traveled in Africa somewhat with a Land Rover, you know. So I spent about a year and a half in South Africa. Really? And so um, that was a very interesting uh, time of my life. Actually, I wrote for a Swiss newspaper, you know, on my travels uh, through various countries in Africa in the Land Rover with my current wife or with my wife, (laughs) you know. So she was my girlfriend at the time, fiance. And, uh, you know, we came back home and, uh, you know, I was looking for a job. So, how old were you at the time? I was uh, 25. 25. And you were an engineer? I was an engineer. So, I applied uh, for a job, you know, with uh, the, the gentleman Fifner and Fry. They had an opportunity to sell the hydromat machine and, and the story is somewhat complicated where that came from, but they looked me in the eyes and said, hey, we have an opportunity to sell the hydromat machine in America. Uh, you know English, why don't you go over there? We already had a good contact here in St. Louis and that was Bob Pullman. Mm-hmm. Bud Pullman bought the first machines in Switzerland at the show, I think it was uh, at the La Roche show in 77. He bought three machines. Uh, I came over here, and uh, you know, very quickly he said, "You know, hey, uh, we ought to get together and sell as many hydromat machines as you can build." And uh, we moved over here. We had to get married, my wife and I, uh, for visa purposes, (laughs) and uh, move over here in uh, '79, in September of '79. So, Polman, you know, was kind of my mentor, you know, I was young and unexperienced when he came to certain business uh, dealings, but I was uh, uh, really a good engineer. Listeners, do you have an idea for a future
0: episode of Swarfcast? Or is your company interested in advertising on the Swarfcast podcast? If so, please send us an email. At swarfcastpodcast at gmail.com. That's swarfcastpodcast at gmail.com. Was Pullman an end user or was he uh, a reseller?
1: He basically was an end user and also a reseller. You know, he kind of handled both, you know, aspects uh, at the time, you know, for the first maybe five years. After that, the business started growing too big and he kind of faded out and we started having you know, other representation in various parts of the country.
2: You don't have to tell me, but I'm curious about your partners, about uh, Fifner and FRY and your relationship with them.
1: Uh, Fifner and FRY split up when we started HydroMed here in the States. Mm-hmm. And the reason for that was that Pfeffner wanted to be you know on his own uh, he wanted to handle Europe and Asia and Fry basically ended up with uh, north and south america at the time you know probably an equal market you know they really didn't get along that well together and so uh, fry had an interest you know that i would join him and i said you know i Come to the States, uh, I want to do it, but I want to become a partner. So over the years, you know, I became uh, a partner in Hydramat, and today I own uh, as a single owner the majority share. He basically divested his shares to his kids, uh, to Kevin Meehan, which runs Edge, to Matthias Walter, uh, which is the president here, and my son. So when you say you own the
0: majority stake in Hydromat, does that mean Fifner?: This is a little complicated, no, I need, a, I need the, a breakdown.
1: Yes, this is just Hydromat, Hydromat Incorporated. We're independent over here. Our partners have basically sold, or Fifner has sold the business to FFG. Okay. You know, to Jimmy Choo. He actually was supposed to, Mr. Pfiffner was supposed to sell the business to us. Mm. And that did not occur for whatever reason.
2: So you came over 1979. As I recall, 1980 was a sort of a tough year in business here. Uh, and you're new here. What was it like?
1: It was a challenge, no question about it, you know, just because, uh, you know, I needed to put all the pieces together. We purchased the machines on tooled at that time. And we had a little facility here uh, very close by from this location uh, where we, you know, basically built up the machines. Uh, Because I did not know the background here, you know, uh, uh, previous to my arriving, I uh hired, you know, some individuals, some Swiss engineers and brought them over here. So I had a group in the 80s already, a group, three, four guys which basically helped me uh, doing what I needed to be done, you know, and uh, I knew what their uh, education would be, I uh, knew what their capabilities would be because, you know, they all went through the same basic system as I did. So
2: then you went on the road.
1: I went on the road quite a bit, you know, with Pullman. You know, I started selling, you know, in uh, various parts of the country. Chicago probably wasn't the number two spot where a Stanley Autonetics bought the first uh, Map machine up there. I'm trying to imagine you on the road.
0: So you you just looked up, say, screw machine shops and and then said, hey, I have this. Amazing revolutionary product, or did these people already have some rotary transfer machines?
1: No, they did not have any rotary transfer machines, they had your typical um, screw machine. But, 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 Polman was in the business. Uh, First of all, of making parts, so he knew his competitor. (laughs) And secondly, he had a uh, refurbishing company for Acme Gridless. Ah, So he did some refurbishing, he did some trading, you know, on some older machines. So he knew the clientele out there. So that kind of was easy for us.
0: Was it hard to convert people to this new technology or were were people
1: closed-minded? No, they actually were pretty open minded after I explained, you know, the system, because typically you've seen a row of screw machines. What did they do with those parts? They shuttled them into the next facility and the women sat on drill presses and, you know, do the secondary operation. And I told them, you know, right at the beginning, Hey, we have an inverting unit. We can basically machine both sides of the part. Also, my part is stationary, therefore I can do milling, I can do drilling uh, radially, and so on and so forth. And the cycle times are so much better, you know. Uh, my favorite saying was, This is no problem, you know. Uh, we're going to be running this part, you know, at half the cycle time. That's well, to me, it's impressive because to me,
0: the machine tool business is kind of like machine tools is kind of like a, a religion. You, if somebody has an Acme and you want to sell them a Wickman, it's like a big deal to convert them over. So to get them to, you know, adopt a whole new technology, it seems like it's a big achievement. Maybe it's less of a big deal if it's something entirely new than adopting one multi-spindle to another multi-spindle. But I think people are very intimidated, you know, I don't have anybody that can run a hydromat etc so it's impressive that you were able to go in and
1: get them to change of course you know it's a learning curve as well we tried to educate the customers all along did you Uh, give them free machines to try out no absolutely not we couldn't afford that but what we did have is a nice showroom so my first goal was to convince him to come to st louis So not only did we have a nice showroom here, you know, where we built the machines, we put it together, but we also had bought Pullman running production. And so that kind of was it. Here is a screw machine and here is a hydromat and look, you know, what the cycle times were and so on and so forth. Pullman bought in the first five years, probably 10, 12 machines and, um, we grew out of space very quickly and moved into this building, this very building in 84, you know, and so this was very impressive. And, um, you know, it, it it was tough. I spent a lot of time, you know, on the road, but also, you know, I trained the guys here and, and built the company here. Uh, I think, you know, one of the most important decisions was to bring some Europeans in here Uh, and mix it up a little bit between the locals and the people which needed to be trained and the Europeans. So that worked, mixing it up. That worked very well, you know, because I had discipline from those people. They were committed to the product. I could speak to them in my own language. (laughs) Uh, And and so uh, that helped a great deal. It really did.
2: Yeah, but it must've been challenging uh, to integrate uh, the Europeans and the Americans. Do you, do you think you were t- totally successful at it?
1: Yes, for the most part. Yeah, there were some, some issues uh, just because uh, a bunch of these guys would come over here because they left something unresolved, mm. you know, at home. Mm-hmm. And so eventually, you know, it would manifest itself, you know, right here and rear its ugly head, you know. So I had a few of those kind of situations. But overall, I think it's a good program. I like mixing up, you know, the cultures. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, we've seen, you know, a lot of different people come through the facilities here, you know, including uh, Chinese and so on and so forth, uh, Taiwanese, and it's always been good when you bring, you know, people together.
2: Uh, This is an aside, but who has the china the china
1: territory that's a Pfiffner, uh organization yes oh, i see that could run a lot better you know uh, they're not doing all that well uh, what we see in china is a lot of american companies who shipped you know machines over there you know there is a, a whole number of manufacturers you know which have gone to china and they pro- produce components for the chinese market for the most part i see so uh, in my mind, uh,
2: the hydromat machines have been synonymous with the automotive industry. I know that that's certainly not totally true, but you've, if, if you're, one of your key markets is the automotive market and the automotive market is going up and down and up and down, what do you do? How do you deal with it?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. You know, the automotive has been fairly consistent to us, however, uh, around 60%, 65% market share. Other industries have done, you know, really well here. And that is, you know, the whole fitting industry, industrial componentry type industry. They've done, you know, very steady from year to year. And... um the defense industry to a certain degree, you know, ammunitions and uh, in the last few years, you know, some um, some uh, long rifle type components, pistol type components. Um, that market was so fragmented and it seems like, you know, they're str- trying to get together and, and produce, you know, high volume components on hydromat machines. You know, they say that the big growth
2: market over the next 20, 30 years uh, is the healthcare market. Do you see any way that your product uh, can make inroads into the healthcare world?
1: Uh, we have one customer uh, very heavily into the um, componentry for healthcare in other words uh, these are um, tools these are uh, grippers these are uh, component parts you know for that industry and they've done extremely well with our icon machine Hmm. Uh, but outside of that we've not been able you know to set foot in your classic job shop for uh, for medical-type components. Uh, we've not been able to do that. Uh, first of all, the volumes are very low, uh, very batch-oriented, set in their ways.
0: On the next episode of SWARFcast.
2: Some people would argue the HydroMan is, is less versatile than uh, having eight Swiss machines where you could you know be running on a several different jobs
1: yeah but then again you know if you do a square job well, how are you going to do that if you do irregular shape type components how do you do that i can convert my machine from a bar feeder to a loader very simply mm-hmm. just pick and place uh, the uh, lathe you know are pretty much uh, confined you know to round bar stock material